This is part two of the message we started last week, speaking about the glory that we have. And it's an incredible, incredible, incredible section. Romans chapter 8, verse 17, and verse number 18 is where we are. Verse 16 said, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, since children, heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so we will may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. A couple of things. There is one little caption that you might find useful. It speaks to the whole chapter. And I just have two little words in front of me. I consider them keys to understanding this chapter. And it's these two words. Not earned. Not earned. Every single thing in this chapter is a testimony of what God has done for you. And you did not earn one bit of it. We cannot earn one bit of it. Not even in these chapters. Or these verses that we're looking at right now. Not earned. Not earned. That is very important in understanding the concept that we are studying through right now, speaking of glory. Because glory, in our present day, in our world system of such, is earned. We give people glory for being able to knock a ball 450 feet into the air. And do it many, many times. Of course, if they're on steroids, then we don't give them the glory. But if they are doing it genuinely, we we put them in a high pedestal, don't we? We give people credit and glory and praise and such for events, and it's because they've done something. So it's not uncommon, I think, for us to have a, a slight little, I don't know, glitch in this department when we're trying to understand glory, especially in relation to what we share with Christ, we start to think, well, there must be something in this that is earned. And even our English translations tend to lean that way a little bit in the way it's written up. Because at the end of verse number 17, it suggested, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him, it suggests, from first reading perhaps, that, well, we've got to suffer if we're going to earn glory. Now, let me back up just a touch and talk about the word glory. The Greek word is doxa. You've heard doxology before. It's a simple little word, and we'd spell it D-O-X-A in English letters. All right? But the idea of glory is that which is one's opinion. It's that which is uh, praise, yes. It is honor. It is dignity. It's what you think of something or someone. You give them glory. That's your opinion, that they deserve praise or honor or dignity. Uh, it's sometimes used as the term splendor. When we're talking about a place, like sometimes for heaven we will say glory, won't we? A lot of our songs in our hymn book, we talk about uh, 
will be in glory someday. We talk about it in terms of a location. We talk about splendor and what that concept is to us there too. Um, it's a position as well, by the way. To be in a position of glory, a position of exaltation, a position of, of being honored and such of that nature. Now, we work with that word and then we put it in scripture and so many times you know it's related to the Lord, isn't it? The glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord. We see that phrase all over the place. And we know it from beginning to end. It talks about the glory and honor and power and, and such that he deserves. We even sang that in one of our songs this morning. So we, we can easily attribute it to the Lord. Now, yes, it's partially our own opinion that is being expressed there. But our opinion is not based on ignorance, is it? I mean, you don't base yours on ignorance, do you? You base your opinions on things you know. I hope. <laughs> I hope that when you say, the Lord deserves the praise, it's, it's not that he's not going to get it if you don't give it to him. He is getting praised all the time. And he does deserve the glory whether or not we say it or not. Because by nature, that's who he is in his essence. But also, we contribute to that. Our own hearts join in with that praise. We, we're kind of like the four living creatures, perhaps, or, or the elders in heaven. That one person starts a praise service, and they have to join in. And before long, the whole of heaven's just joining in and praising the Lord. Check it out in chapter 7 or chapter 6 or chapter 5 of the book of Revelation. It happens so often. It's incredible. One starts it and the rest join in. And so when we talk about the Lord, it's easy to join in and give him glory because that's what he deserves. And that's our own opinion to do that as well. Now, we can stand back and look at all that and set it in that light and say, okay, I get that part. But when it's turned around and it's coming back toward us, that's where it gets rather interesting, doesn't it? These words that we're reading here in verse 17 and 18. We suffer with him so that we may also be glorified. Who? We. I think it's stunning. We may also be glorified with him. And then at the end of verse 18. Uh, it talks about the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, key to that. Understand it very carefully. Not earned. Not earned. There is no place for pride in this glory. Never will be. There is no place for pride. It's not earned. It's a whole different thing than what we're used to when we talk about Mankind being glorified. It comes from a relationship. And that's what I've been stressing for several, several weeks here. The relationship that you are secured in because of Jesus Christ. Romans 8 is telling us about this. Is that we have been made children of God. And because of that, these things come with it. Verse 16, the testimony that you are God's child. The Holy Spirit's testifying that you are God's child. And he does it over and over and over and over and over again in his actions toward you. The fact that we're heirs of God in verse number 17, that comes from the fact that we're children of God. Since we're children of God, we are heirs of God. Did you earn that? No. 
No, you did not. And if you're heirs of God, verse 17 says, you're also fellow heirs or joint heirs with Christ. Now, that just stuns me as well. We share with Him completely. Why? Did we earn that? No. It's because we've been made children of God that we are joint heirs with Christ. Every spiritual blessing, I told you last time, comes from our Lord Jesus Christ. But we've been blessed in every single way, in every spiritual blessing, in the heavenlies, in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Did we earn that? No. He blessed us in every way. We talked about righteousness last time. In the righteousness we have in Christ Jesus. Did we earn our righteousness? No. But it's been given to us. Because Jesus Christ is the one who paid the price on our behalf. So we have a righteousness. Not derived from the law. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3. Not derived by the law, but that through faith in Christ. Holiness is not earned. Holiness is given to us as well through Jesus Christ. Because we can't even come close to this one. But he disciplines us. Hebrews 12 verse 10 says, He disciplines us so that we may share his holiness. That, again, it's his. It's not ours. It's his work. Suffering, then, glory. These two words pop up in verse 17 and in verse number 18. And both of these are related to the whole topic I bring before you. And that is not earned. Not earned. You know, even in the concept of suffering, you may say, well, why do I suffer? Why do I, is it because I'm being good in a world that doesn't like it? Well, that could be true. Uh, is it because I, I'm, I'm, you know, I behave a certain way at the office, I do this, I do that, and, and people don't like that, and they come after me for that, and, and maybe so. But when you get down to the heart and soul of what it's all about, it's because you wear the name of Christ. You can do good things, and the world will applaud you, but if you do good things in the name of Christ, it does not like it. That's the difference. Your suffering then, according to Scripture, if you study it carefully, is not based on you. It's based on Christ in you. Alright? That's what they see. Christ in you. And they opposed Him in the beginning. Jesus says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you too. Why? Because you wear the name of Christ. Now, again, that's not earned. That's not earned. Glory is not earned either. And that's the topic we've been especially camping on. Because you are a child of God. Suffering did not earn glory for you. Any more than suffering that Christ went through earned glory for him. He had it before he ever came. I worked through all that last week. But I wanted just to bring it up before you again one more time. Because that was point number one. Point number one was simply this, that uh, what we have received has been given to us. It's been given to us. It's not earned. I've got a, actually a caption I used for it. What was it? These are the things that come from being a child of God. That's how simple it is. 
things that come from being a child of God. We are in a position now, because of a relationship with Him, that we shall be glorified with Him. That was His promise. His promise was, in the first place, I go and prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare that place for you, I'll come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may also be. His promise is that you'll be with him. I love that promise, don't you? With him. That's what it says. We're with him in that. He promises to be with us. No matter where we go, he's always with us. He promises that uh, we will be with him, and we were with him in his death, Romans eight say, or 6 says. We're with him in his resurrection, Romans 6 says. We're seated with him in glory, Ephesians 1 says. We're suffering with him on this earth. That's all over scripture, but that's especially here in verse 17. Suffer with him. Don't take those two words out of verse 17. With him is very important. Suffer with him. Being glorified with him is part of the chain. It's all because you're a child of his. All because you're a child of his. That's what Christ has set up. It's really quite incredible to stop and think about it. This is our hope of glory, folks. This is what I as a pastor share with you. It's the riches of the glory of this mystery. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. That's the truth of it. Now, I talked to you about that last week, and I find that to be a very exciting thing. That was only point one of this whole message. I want to go into point two today. But I wanted to make sure you knew point one well. It is, glory is a thing that comes because you're a child of God. All right? Not earned. Not earned. It's because you're a child of God. Now, verse number 18 asks a question, and it's not really worded exactly like a question, but I'm going to set it up like one. What compares? What compares? It says in verse number 18, For I consider that the suffering, sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Here's Paul in a very interesting way saying, you know, I, I consider, you say consider, okay, Paul, what's that? Logizomai is the Greek word. I'm logging this, all right? This isn't his mere opinion. This is not some supposition he's come to. But sometimes you see the word reckon in there. We don't use reckon too often, do we? Oh, it's a good word. Start using it in your week. People would love it. Reckon. I reckon. You know, you've got to say it just right, too. Right? But I, you use the word reckon. What, what that word is simply this. I've added it up. I've done the math. Now, I can handle addition pretty well. It's when you get into those other things that I think are make-believe. All right? They, they call it calculus, and they call I don't know what you... Kelly could answer all those. I can't. Addition, I can handle. I can add up things. And Paul says, I've added these things up. And he's a perfect candidate to do this. Because he says, on the one side of the column, I added up the issue of sufferings. That's in the plural, by the way. Sufferings. 
the things that not only were physically hard for him, but things that were emotionally hard for him, things that were psychologically, if you will, hard for him, that were taxing him in every single facet of his being, Paul knew those words well. He knew them well. You won't find him complaining, by the way, in Scripture. And I I wonder at times if I put myself in his sandals, I would think this way. I used to be a persecutor of the church, he says. And when the Lord saved me, he says, Paul, wait till you see the persecutions I have for you. Now, that's a slight paraphrase, but that's the basic idea. Paul knew it was coming, and he didn't stop and say, oh, that's terrible, that's unfair. He didn't look at it that way. He, matter of fact, said, I'm here to, to fill in the rest of the afflictions that are lacking in the church. <laughs> you know, this, this man was a magnet for suffering. Everything came his direction. And he knew it. And, and matter of fact, he set a testimony before us through it all that I think is valuable in our day and age. Because we look at the simplest things and we start complaining. I'm afraid we do that. But here's the list. You've seen it before. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This was written very close to the time when Paul wrote the book of Romans. So it was fresh on his mind. And in 2 Corinthians, oh, I got 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. And start in verse 23. This is what Paul endured. He says this, 2 Corinthians 11, 23. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. I'm more of a servant of Christ. What, what's that? Oh, I'm, I'm a servant of Christ in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. That's stunning to me, just to read that. I've said this before, but I couldn't make it through the first set. Five times this man has been ripped open by the the whips of the Jewish people. Thirty-nine lashes. That's an intense, intense number. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Now, Nobody, nobody really goes around saying, yeah, I was stoned. Why? Because the end result of stoning is what? Death! I was stoned, Paul said. Yes, they left him there. They thought he was. Maybe he was. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys. In dangers from rivers. Dangers from robbers. Dangerous from my countrymen. Dangerous from the Gentiles. That means he has no place to go where he's not in danger. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger on the sea. Danger among false brethren. I've been in hard labor and hardship through many sleepless nights. I've been hungry. I've been thirsty. I've often been without food. I've been in the cold. I've been in exposure during that time. Apart from such external things, there is a daily pressure on me concerning all of the churches. He says, here not only am I worried about, you know, how do I live throughout this experience. 
He's got a concern on his heart constantly for the churches he's ministered to. And what's he worried about? What's he thinking about? What's got his, his mind occupied? He says, well, there's some weak people out there. Then whoever is weak, how can they be weak if I'm not weak with them? And if they're led into sin, isn't that my intense concern? This man is full-time a servant of Christ. And he knew suffering. He knew them. So I think it's logical in this Romans passage for him to say, all right, I've thought this through. I've logged it. I've added it up. And he starts with my sufferings. You can take it from a word. The man knows it. He sets it on one side. In his little ledger, he's adding up some figures, and he sets it on one side. Every hardship, every pain, every affliction, whether emotional or physical or economical, he set it down there. That's quite a list. He says, on the other side, I talked about glory. Now, look at the comparison. Because he simply says it in verse number 18. They're not comparable. They're not worthy. It's not worthy. You can't compare these. It's it's not even suitable is the definition of the the word axios. It's not even suitable to add these up. These, These sufferings are not worthy to be mentioned in the same paragraph with the glory that is to be revealed. You see, the sufferings are present sufferings. Sufferings for the moment. Really, it is meant to give you the idea that it's temporary. That it's short. That, you know, there's, as we would say, a light at the end of the tunnel. Many times we enter into suffering and we say, well, this one's long and hard and I don't know if I'll ever come out. We look at suffering that way. Kind of like as a kid, I looked at the bean field that way when I was told to go pick green beans. They were seven miles long. At least it did look that way to a kid. I know, they were only 25 feet. But it just took us all day long to pick those. That's the way we view so many things. We say, oh, it's just so much. It's so hard. He says, but it's a, a present suffering. It's suffering for a season. It's just a short duration. Glory is called what? Many times in Scripture, it has the word eternal attached to it. We're going to find the words eternal weight of glory in another phrase we'll look at. But here's his scales and weights and balances that he's working with. I find it very interesting. On one side, he puts all of the pressures and pains and, and uh, sufferings on one side of the scale. And he sets glory there, and this doesn't even have enough to it to make the scales start to work. There's nothing there. Nothing on this side that can help balance out what glory is all about. You can stack all day long with everything. And matter of fact, let's bring all of ours together. And let's all put it on the one side. And let's round it up for the whole state and the whole country and the whole world. And stack up all the sufferings we can. And not just for today, but all of it in history. And stack it all up there. And it's still not enough to bring the scales 
to any place where you can measure glory. That's the word for it. It's not worthy of the balance. This is why Spurgeon wrote it. I thought it was very interesting. Paul made our present sufferings a matter of simple arithmetic. He added them all up and saw what the total was. He was then about to say what an equal sum of glory would be. But he gave it up and just said, Oh, our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. They Did they stand as one to a thousand? No. For then they would have been worthy of comparison. Even if our sufferings equaled one millionth of our future glory, they would have been worth comparing. Paul saw that there was no proportion whatever to them. The sufferings were as a single drop, and the glory as a boundless ocean. Now you can picture that. That's what he's trying to express here. We know the suffering side. We measure accordingly. He says, it doesn't even work on this scale. It can't even budget when we talk about the glory that is to be revealed. I hope you find that to be very encouraging, folks. I want to show you why. Especially here, if you're still in in, uh, 2 Corinthians, I want you to move over to chapter 4 for a minute. Chapter 4. This is a little section of Scripture that I think we would understand. Our bodies are failing. You know that story? Our bodies are failing. But as they do, we get closer to something each and every day, don't we? This glory that we're talking about, that we someday will have revealed to us. Here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For the momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Didn't he just set the scales again and There it goes. Glory side all the way down. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. New perspective for you. New perspective. I've heard it said for some people that when you age, you reach the golden years. Then I heard somebody says, yeah, it takes gold to get to them. I said, well, maybe so. We, we say these are the golden years. We enter into, what is beyond that? What do you call it then when you step into glory? He's making a comparison here. Yes, our body's failing. We know that. Where's our mindset today concerning those things? Paul says, I'm being renewed in the inner man day by day. Are you? Are you? 
Or is the inner man falling apart like the outer man is? Paul says, I get more and more encouraged as I think about this. Because this is momentary. This is light. I've got the eternal weight of glory on the other side. He set his mind on things above. On things above. Here's how Peter would say it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, all the way to verse 7. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, and it is reserved in heaven for you. Do you believe that? He said, you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you greatly rejoice. Even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, folks, we have something we're going to. We have something we're going to. When we exit this world, we enter into that place where the glory of the Lord is revealed. We shall see it. But you know what? Today, we believe it. We know it. Now, I'm saying, okay, this is great, Pastor. It's coming down the road. You already have it because you're a child of God. That's the point of the passage. You already have it. You're not earning it, folks. You're not out there trying to figure out how to get another ounce of glory put on the scale in your favor. The glory has been given. Not only have you been justified, you've been glorified. Romans chapter 8 will tell us later. You've been glorified. I want to connect this all together in a simple way. The fact that you are so secure in this, secure in the relationship you have with Christ, that this glory is not a hope, like I hope so, or a potential, but it is a reality for the believer. For the child of God, it is, it is inseparable from everything else he's given to you, because you're his child. Shall the work that Christ has done be unfinished? Shall his great transaction be declined? Shall the one he died for be missing in heaven? Shall the children of God not be found at his table? Shall there be empty seats there? Will the bridegroom be without his bride? Will the king sit on his throne without his queen beside him? 
So the plan God started from the very beginning of the world be thwarted by the failure of a man. Now I got personal, didn't I? Far too often we think it that way, don't we? I messed it all up. How many times have you said that? I've messed it all up. The eternal plans of God, are we likely to be able to destroy those, defeat those, change those? Thwart the plans of God because of our failure? Shall our will ever be greater than His? Shall we unravel all the sovereign acts of God on our behalf? Shall we pull out the stitches of that righteous garment that we've been given in Christ Jesus? Shall we erase the blood of the eternal covenant? He who has made this world, he spoke and created stars and sun and water and dirt and wind. That's an incredible thing. He gave mankind breath. He controls the oceans. He controls gravity. His power and His glory are demonstrated each and every day. Just step outside and look. And you will see the glory of our Lord in any direction you want to face. And by that same Word, from that same God, and by His work, and by the blood and the body of His Son, Jesus Christ, We have been saved. Now think about this. We've been forgiven. We've been redeemed from that pit. We've been rescued from the penalty. We have been cleaned up. We've been set in our right minds. We've been clothed with the holiness of Jesus Christ. We've been given the Holy Spirit who's set inside of us to dwell, to walk with us to guide us, to correct us, to build us up, to to shower us with grace, to lead us to our destination. For heaven has been built for us. It's a place prepared for us. And who can undo that? Not me. How about you? Can you undo that? I don't think so. This pastor here that stands before you believes that my relationship with Jesus Christ is secured. I believe that with all my heart. It will not fail because He will not fail. That's what I anchor it to. Not to me. It's to Him. Not earned. It's given. It's given. He will give just as He promised. According to Romans chapter 8, He will give the inheritance as fellow heirs with Christ. He will give that. We will be glorified with Him. He will give that. And the rest of the chapter just keeps going on with the same round over and over again. Remember the older days, folks, when there was a scratch on the record? You guys said, what's a record? scratch on the record, and every time it came around, the needle popped back into that same groove, and it's played the same thing over and over. You've got the rest of Romans chapter 8 in front of you now. 
This is what God has done. 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 How many of us are going to step up and say, yeah, but I'm going to undo all that? We can't. We can't. I love this verse from Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. This, this one anchored it down so tight for me, I can't even get up from under it. And I love the fact of that. It says in Hebrews 7.25, Therefore, He is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. There is only one thing that can thwart all of these words in Romans chapter 8, and that would be if Jesus Christ died. I'm not talking about His, his death before. Because he rose again. And he lives now. Is there any chance that he's going to get old and die now? No. Is he going to be caught up in an accident later this afternoon? No. He ever lived. Your salvation is anchored to him. And as long as he lives, you're always saved. That's the beauty of this that's why when I speak about the glory that is to be revealed to us, the fact that we're going to share this glory with Him, I could speak to you with this kind of confidence. I'm not being cocky. I hope you don't think I am. I'm not being cocky. I'm not standing here patting myself on the back, saying this is something great that I've discovered, or as if it's something new. It's not something new. God has already said it. And matter of fact, I didn't do it. <laughs> I didn't create this. It's not my design. And you should be thankful for that. My design won't last. God's will. That's the passage you're studying here with me. We talk about the glory that is to be revealed. You will see it. Because you have it. You have it. You're a child of God. Heavenly Father, I ask that you apply this to our hearts where that great need is today. For those who struggle, those who have had tough times, they've, they've even come to a place to doubt your love for them, perhaps. Maybe they think that you are frowning upon them at this very moment. Maybe the struggle has just been hard and they're weary. They don't want to take another step. Maybe they've been weighing the sufferings pretty heavily lately. And they're trying to find the balance and trying to find the purpose for it all. These words come crashing in on us and they demand that we change our attitude about things. And Lord, you're very good at changing our minds. Lord, if somebody needs that especially today, do your work in their hearts that only you can do. Some of us are just tired. We've lived long lives and we've been through an awful lot and we've talked an awful lot about heaven and the hope that is set there in our hearts and we long for that place and that day. Lord, in that, you have just given another, another round of comfort and strength in the time of need to remind them that this day, this life is temporary 
And there is an eternal weight of glory on the other side. And that's reserved in heaven. And we thank you, Lord, for that. For some of us, we just needed our faith boosted a bit today. Another strengthening process that you alone can do. Lord, you know the needs. As I ask, even now, as I started, apply it to where it is needed the most today, in the hearts and lives of each of us, that we may stand firm in this present evil day, that we may keep our eyes on things above and walk as we should, that we should be encouraged within us and renewed day by day in that inner man. Do your ministry in our hearts today, Lord, through your word, for we desperately need it. And we're so thankful for it. In Jesus' name, amen.